Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. Janice Ian, how Good are to you? Be here. I'm well, thank you. It's not always nice to hear those words. We were we were talking off uh, off mic uh, about being a Grammy Award winner for a very long time, and uh, well, not to, not to date you, but it's been it, no, it's that's been, fine. It's it's been a while. You you have had a lot of time to get used to that. Does it get old? Uh, no. Are you kidding? It just gets better. No, I I started when I was twelve, so I, I really don't feel bad about having been in it this long because I started so young. But my first Grammy Award ceremony I presented with Arlo Guthrie back in. 1967 when I was 15 years old. So uh, to have nine nominations, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the older I get, the more I realize what a big deal it is. Big deal, but at 15 years old, you know, uh, you're you're thinking, what the heck? It's going to be a lot of these. Yeah, well, at at 15, you're trying to be so cool about everything, you know? Yeah. Well, you started writing songs when you're 12, or is it earlier? No, well, I started writing poetry about far back as I can remember, but I remember being 12 and hearing a Buffy St. Marie record and looking at the credits and seeing that she'd written one of the songs and thinking, wow, oh, I would like to do that. And what was the first folk music you remember hearing? Gosh, you know, it's a combination because it wasn't just folk music. My folks had uh, a friend in the Broadway show of Oklahoma, so I got to go to a, a rehearsal of that when I was about three and then my dad snuck me into a Ray Charles concert about the same time. It was a tent concert down in Jersey. And then I remember Pete Seeger at about the same time and sitting on his lap with wow. a banjo on the, other, on the other leg. So it all rolled into one and became, wow, I, w- I really want to do that. Yeah, what, kind of, what kind of impact does that have, sitting on Pete Seeger's lap on a career of a young, young woman that's not even thinking about a career? Well, it's pretty cool that I can remind him and his wife, Toshi, that I was a three-year-old who sat on his lap, and look where it got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Your family uh, certainly came from the left, uh, in way of thinking, politically. And, That's uh, a polite way to put it, yeah. I think the term red diaper baby almost applies. I, I can never quite figure out if my mother was a socialist or a Marxist or a Leninist or a Trotskyite, but she, you know, they were immigrants, and they, well, they were first-generation Americans, and they really believed that this was the greatest country on earth, but that it could be made better. They wanted black people to have the vote. They wanted women to earn the same as men. They were very unusual um, for the time, and so I was raised with this wonderful blend of, I can be anything because this is America, which is still truer than pretty much any country in the world. No doubt, uh, and also, and we have to we have to change things when they're wrong. It's a, it's amazing that in a in a short period of time like that, and it really is a short period of time, that they went from being scary and and watched by the FBI to you know really as we we would know them as patriots now, right? I mean, right. They, they just well, that's to, the way it always is. I mean, you know, look at the folks who signed the Declaration of Independence. I mean, they were burned out of their houses, they were hung, uh, and now we revere them. Yeah. No question about Things it. It's always hard. Well, growing up with that type of background, and, and again, a, a very left, uh, you know, like you said, Marxist, socialist, growing up, how strong was your resolve in believing that your family was right? I'm sure you heard from 
people outside of the the family and uh, you know criticism. Well, I, it was so obvious that civil rights was was the correct thing. Uh, I don't think there was ever any doubt. Um, I have to say that it, the stuffing envelopes and going to rallies gets old after a while when you're a kid. Yeah. But it was the right thing to do, and I think I was raised with a really, I mean, it sounds Pollyanna-ish now, but I was raised with a really strong sense that you do the right thing, and that's the end of the discussion, you know. I'm not, it's not that we didn't butt heads. I mean, I went to I went to South Africa in the, I guess, the 70s, no, the early 80s, before apartheid was over, and I played integrated halls, and I brought an integrated band, and my mother didn't talk to me for a year. Mm. Literally. So, you know, she she felt very strongly. I felt very strongly. What did they think of your success, your your success in music? They're immigrants. um, America's the land of opportunity. And here you go at 15 years old. You're on the big stage. Well, I'm the American dream, you know. I'm I'm the reason that people come here because I, I get to earn a living doing something I love and I get to have my dreams fulfilled. And that's the American dream, isn't it? No question. When did you get your first guitar? <laughs> um, I picked up my dad's guitar. He was a music teacher by then. He started out as a farmer and went to college on the GI Bill. And he became a music teacher, and he had an old beat-up guitar that he'd bought for $25 from another farmer's wife. <laughs> it turned out to be a Martin D-18 and very valuable. Oh, my gosh. You, does he still, do but you I still have... But I picked that up when I was 10, I think. Is it still and in the family? Still in love. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it was stolen in 1972, and it came back 26 years later. I'm looking at the case right now. Oh, that's amazing. It was amazing. You can read about it on my website. There's an article called The Guitars and Righteous Men. That's a good place to, to start to give your website. We're with Janice Ian in case you're just tuning in. Janice, what's your website? It's www.janiceian.com. J-A-N-I-S-I-A-N. Named after me like any chick singer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Arlo Guthrie. Were you uh, influenced by his dad's music? Oh, well, what folk singer isn't? I mean, there's Woody and there's Pete, you know. Yeah. That's, that's kind of American folk music of my era, that and the child ballads and Appalachian music. But mostly Woody and Pete. Woody is a writer, certainly, right up there uh, with Hank Williams. Just the two of them are the classic American, and Irving Berlin, I guess, for the American songbook. Um, I had a great, great opportunity a few years back to set an unfinished Woody Guthrie lyric to music and finish the lyric, and it turned into a song called I Hear You Sing Again about my mother and Woody's mother, and it is still one of my favorite pieces, and Arlo sings it in concert, which I don't think you could possibly get a a greater compliment. Mm. Oh, that's something else. That's for it sure. Is, it really is. I'm very fortunate with that. You know, you mentioned Irvin Berlin. Uh, from from what I read, uh, Woody wasn't a huge fan of Irvin Berlin, right? I mean, wrote... <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. This yeah, land well, Woody, is. Woody, uh, I'm sure you read that he wrote This Land is Your Land to counteract Irving Berlin's uh, God Bless America, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. The, that's the well, big story. Woody didn't have a whole lot of patience with patriotism for the sake of patriotism. Did you did you ever get to meet him, or did he die? No, he died. I was too young. Him and Billy Holiday are my two big regrets. I, I know uh, Bob Dylan got to meet him. He did. Bob spent a lot of time at his bedside, and uh, 
Arlo has this great memory of Bob showing up at the door and his sister Nora yelling at him, don't let that tramp in. And Arlo's saying, no, he looks like a nice person. He knows Dad. And Nora going, don't let him in. Mom's not home. Wow. Funny stuff. Well, he did the right thing by letting him in. He ultimately won out on that. He sure did. Yeah. Good instincts. What, what is your relationship with Bob Dylan? Oh, I don't really have one. I've met him in passing, you know. He's brilliant. I mean, I don't think any of us would be writing what we're writing if not for Dylan. He changed the way that we write songs. He changed the way everybody writes songs. How about Joan Baez? What's your relationship like with Joan Baez? Uh, well, Joan's been great to me since we met at Newport when I was 16. She, um, she's recorded a couple of my songs. I've worked with her on stage and off stage. She stayed at our house. Uh, she's she's a an extremely gracious, wonderful lady. Newport, that wasn't the uh, the famous Newport Jazz Festival where uh, Like a Rolling Stone... Dylan got booed off stage. No. Uh-uh. Well, was that no, before? I got to go after... a couple years later. Oh, yeah, right. You would have been very, very young for that. Yeah, it was a kinder, calmer world by the time I went. <laughs> I, I just assume, just like I, I asked you off mic, I, I said uh, New York or L.A., and you said Nashville. You, Janice Ian is our guest, everyone, and she lives in Nashville, in case you just immediately thought New York or L.A. <laughs> but I've I, been here since 1988. <laughs> wow, that's a long time. Are you, uh, are you constantly recording, or are you kind of uh, take it easy? At times, or it depends on the year. Right now, let's see. I toured really hard for three or four years, and I put my partner through college. She went back to school and became an attorney. Uh, and then I've made about eight albums, I guess, since '93, maybe nine. Uh, so you know, one every three, four years. I haven't made one since a new one since 2006, and I'm just now looking at taking off a lot of time this year and next year and writing a new album, but. Projects get in the way, you know. I'm in the middle of a children's book project that's coming out on Ingram in, uh, in September, and then I've got a host of things to do for other people, like Jean Ritchie. We're doing a tribute album for her. And then um, I've got a novel that I'm working on and my own audio book with a Grammy nomination. Um, so I want to read other people's books now. It's just a, I don't know, I get busy, and all of a sudden the time's gone. Do you have a set process in other words, do you start improving? Do you start with lyrics? What, what's your What's your no. process? Just depends on the day and the song, you know. One of the things Nashville teaches you is that um, it's a muscle, like any other muscle. Your creativity is in part a muscle, and so you've got to exercise it. So I try to I try to do something at least every day, even if it's just listening to music or thinking about music or or books. I try to do something to flex that muscle every day. And then uh, it, a song can start, gosh, a song can start from a, a guitar lick or a, a word or a line or a melody or a foot tap, you name it. Do you like to improv? Do I like improv? Theater improv? No, I'm, you know, musical. I mean, you, do, you, do you improv along uh, with people? Do you oh, jam? Oh, yeah, sure. I yeah. play with other people's records and dream of playing as well as the Eagles on Hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever played with you any? You know, I think that's... I'm sorry? Have you ever played with any of the Eagles? No, no. The closest I got was playing with Bonnie Raitt. Oh, that that's, was pretty cool. That's, that's you know, very I, cool. I think it's one of the things that keeps me performing is because, like, I'm, I'm doing a two-month tour, as you know. I'll be out March, April, and I'll, I'll be covering from, uh, gosh, from Seattle to Florida. And one of the things that keeps me doing that every year is because you get a chance to 
to play a lot. And even though I'm not usually out with a band, just working out the guitar in front of an audience is a whole other thing from sitting around at home playing guitar. How many shows a year do you like to play? Do I like to play or do I play? Do you like <laughs> to play? Probably about 30. That's a good number. That's about two months. Well, I'm packing 40 into this two months, and then in the fall I'm going over to Europe with Tom Paxton for three weeks. And I think the most I've ever done in a year was 210. Mm. How, do you, how do you like that? That's, that's not for you? That beat me up. I tell you what, it was in nine different countries, and uh, it was a lot of traveling. It was a lot of work. But it was a good year. It was fun. You get a certain rhythm going when you're on the road, and it's, it's completely different. But, I, I, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to just get up from the table without things creaking. Janice Ian, Grammy Award winner, vocalist and songwriter. Janice Ian is our special guest today. What was the biggest... I'm loving your accent, man. That's uh, a what, great what? accent. I, I didn't think I had an accent. <laughs> I, I thought I was well, the I one... I didn't think I had one either until I moved to this house. <laughs> what was the biggest surprise you've come across as far as people saying they were influenced by you? I don't know about influenced by, but the biggest surprise of finding out someone knew I existed was uh, late last year when someone contacted me to to let me know that they were working on a book about Tennessee Williams and he had listened to me extensively to the point where he wore out between the lines. That was astonishing. I think I walked around in a haze for a full day after hearing that. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, that's just <laughs> that's... the kind of stuff where you go, man, how lucky am I? Yeah, and, ju- and to find out about it through his biographer. Mm-hmm, that was pretty great. I think it always surprises me when I meet someone like, well, Chet Atkins became a good friend of mine. And when I meet someone like Chet and they know who I am and they, they like my work, or Dolly Parton, um, Willie Nelson, it, it's amazing. Pat Conroy, the author, I mean, he wrote me the most beautiful letter. Those moments are, are, the, are the moments that you treasure when everything else looks bleak. You go back to those moments and think, wow, they thought I was good. I, I must be worthy. Well, it, the Tennessee Williams situation hits me because uh, did, have you did you ever meet Tennessee Williams? No, no, gosh. But if I'd had any idea he was listening I, to me, oh my gosh. Well, that's I would have been sitting at his doorstep. I, I mean, that's what amazes me. I mean, he wore out your record. I'm sure he would have loved to meet you. You know, people don't Isn't that just funny? pick up the phone or you know, or send a telegram or whatever back then. And um, when did he pass? I don't know. I don't know, but I know that I think anybody who has any degree of fame, um, unless you're on the level of a Barbara Streisand, you always kind of feel like, well, maybe they won't know who I am and I'll just look like an idiot. Yeah, I hate going backstage because of that. I mean, even somebody who's cut one of my songs, like a Bette Midler or John Mellencamp, I think to myself, well, what if they don't remember? You know, what if I just look like a complete fool? Uh, I, I, think, I think you're underselling your notoriety or your respect level. Uh, you're one well, of the- thank you, but, but, I, but I know other performers feel the same way. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we, we all are aware that our talent is something that we're born with. It's not something that we did anything to get. And so it, it seems like a miracle to us when, when a song comes out or when, when your voice sounds good. or it, All of those things are miraculous to us, just like they are to anybody else. And so I think once you realize that, it's very humbling. And you, you, then, you know that you're good, um, 
but you also know that this is not brain surgery and it's a gift. From those statements, it sounds almost like you, you feel like you didn't put a lot of work into it or that work. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I really work. I work really hard. And I don't know any performer or writer or player who doesn't. But you have to start with something. And I'm also aware that there are people who could work just as hard as I do but weren't born with the amount of talent I was who wouldn't become, who wouldn't be able to write a Jesse or an At 17. Yeah. You know, and that, that's just luck of the draw. What was it like, or what is it like now looking back on it? Because who knew if it would have lasted, but to be that performer, that musical performer on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> and You be- know, it's like so many things. I mean, who would have thought that Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin would be legendary when we were all bumming around together? Yeah. Um, the SNL thing... Everybody was just hoping it would get one season. I mean, nobody would have dreamed it would last this long, and I wouldn't have dreamed I would still be having a career. I mean, gosh. Janice, Janice Ian is our very special guest, and let's let's talk about Hendrix and uh, and Janice Joplin for a moment. You, were you friendly? Yeah, we were good friends. I was lucky to... Uh, to come up at a time when being good friends with another performer was was sort of a normal thing, and it wasn't uh, the stakes weren't as high as they are now, you know. So people weren't quite as greedy, and people weren't as busy. I mean, I shopped for my Grammy clothes that first time with Janice, and uh, we went to this little Indian shop that we knew that was kind of a clothing and head shop, and this nice lady who ran it. And I remember we picked out a, a kind of peacock blue dress with a silver lining and she thought it looked good on me and it was great you know those are the things that you do with your friends not not because somebody is a famous singer i loved her work i mean gosh what an amazing talent uh and jimmy and i man we spent the night martin luther king died together oh man what was that, was that like too um it was it was hard it was hard i mean dr king was uh, a lion and so many of us revered him, and to have him shot, and to, and on top of John Kennedy getting shot, uh, was just unthinkable. You know, I, I think now, nowadays, guns are so available, and there have been so many shootings, especially lately. Um, I don't want to say you become jaded to it, but you know that those things happen. But when Kennedy was shot and King was shot. Um, the last president who'd been assassinated was who? Lincoln. No, uh, so, uh, McKinley, you, right? You can't. Um, yeah. Yeah, McKinley. And I, I don't think somebody younger or somebody who wasn't there can even can even imagine the the shock. Well, with Dr. King getting shot, where did you hear the the news? Uh, did you hear it on TV? Did somebody? No, we were we were at uh, I think it, I can't remember if it's the Village Gate or the Bitter End or. Must have been the Gator, the Ogogo, I think, in the village. And Jimmy had come in from a concert out at, in Newark, I think. And we were watching B.B. King, and um, he came on stage. Somebody motioned to him, and then he came back on stage, and he made the announcement. And uh, it was just a horrible moment. Horrible. Gee, what, that's something. What a, a moment in history. To uh, I mean, forget about the the tragedy that happened there, but just to be hearing about it in, in the in the midst of 
you know, of, of <laughs> legends and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing and and the fact that he's an African American legend, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, and to be sharing that moment with him, did he? Uh, you know, sometimes when you when you hear his politics, um, you know, and he wasn't particularly uh, astute politically. Um, he was in the army, and maybe that had uh, that had some major effect on him. Uh, he was a paratrooper. But uh, what was your impression of Jimi Hendrix's uh, political savvy or political knowledge? We never talked about it, honestly. We just talked music and made music. What was his reaction and to it King? It wouldn't have occurred to me to talk to him about that. It just wasn't kind of on the on the table. What was his reaction when King died? Here well, it seems to the rest of us, tears, shock. Uh, you know, you keep wanting to turn back the clock and go fix it. Did the show continue on? B.B. Uh, King made the announcement, and... I believe so, yeah. I believe so. What a moment. Because that's what you do. I mean, that's our job. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a, an amazing point. Janice. There were a lot of us out touring after 9-11 and during 9-11, you know, and that, that was our job, even if only 10 people came, to just give them a little break. Did you, did you play that night? Were you playing that night? No, I wasn't playing that night. How about... But if I had been, that's what I would have been doing. I mean, that's, that's the job. Where were you when you heard that, well, first of all, Janice Joplin had passed away, and secondly, uh, Jimi Hendrix? You know, I don't even remember. I, when Jimmy died, I was in Philly, and I'd been really sick for a while. And um, I remember hearing that he had died and thinking, what a waste. And I was just furious at both him and Janice because I, they were friends, and I didn't want him to die. Mm. Well, it's a depressing conversation. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to, <laughs> I'm sorry no, to bring, okay. it, bring it in that direction. It's okay. I mean, it's bittersweet for me because those are great memories also. Well, your music is... I, again, I don't want to say your music is depressing. It's it's meaningful, but it's it, it is not, you know, at seventeen is not an up song, and it's had no, such an impact no, on people. That, except that I think it has happy endings, you know. Yeah. Um, like Billie Holiday said when somebody told her that her work was depressing, and she said, "Honey, my work always holds out hope." To me, at, with that seventeen, the ugly duckling turns into the swan. Right. But still, uh, the the mood of the song is is very. Um, you know, it's it's poignant. It's serious. Yeah, yeah it's, it's serious, no doubt. And actually, I think it's you know it stands up so well today, and it's interesting. You know, I never knew that that you and Janis Joplin were friends. You you probably uh, experienced some of the same insecurities as uh, oh, a lot of most of the same insecurities. Yeah, of course. Yeah, she was she was I mean, teased I think, throughout. I think that's a universal thing, and I, it's not, it's not just women, it's or girls, it's boys and men too. It's, uh, we're all in the same boat, you know. Yeah, and especially performers. I mean, I I think in speaking to so many performers, I, there's such an insecurity there, and they're so um, so apt to to dealing with criticism or or you know overcoming criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of experience? Or scratch that. What would you give young performers as advice in being criticized or being discouraged from getting to a certain point? Well, first of all, you have to trust your instincts. Because if you do what everybody else tells you to do, 
and you flop, you'll have nothing. But at least if you do what you wanted to do and you flop, you'll have something you're proud of to hold up anyway. That's always my philosophy with albums, too. I mean, when I make a record, I want to make a record that 10 years from now I can look back on and go, that's a really good record. I don't care if anybody else thought so. I think it's a really good record. And then the other thing is, you know, if critics knew what they were talking about, then they'd be off making hit records themselves. Instead of criticizing. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's uh, to find a really good critic, and, and I've had criti- critics write up articles that I thought were, uh, there's a couple of things on All Music Guide where I actually wrote to them and said, you know what, you're right, and I never thought about it that way. Thank you. But that's pretty rare. Usually critics are... Uh, not terribly well educated musically and I don't mean book learning I just mean listening and have an axe to grind sometimes I remember a criticism Chaz Bono wrote about Katie Curtis's first album that was so mean spirited and so wrong just wrong to write that I actually called Katie Curtis who I didn't know at the time and said you know what just you're going to read this and you're going to feel awful and don't feel awful because it's a great work that you've done. The album's terrific and this is just a piece of trash. That's something. You know, I think you have to remember that that um, <laughs> the Beatles didn't win a Grammy until Rubber Soul and then it was for artwork. <laughs> right. You know, you have to keep things in some kind of perspective. Yeah. What was the turning point in your life or if you prefer, what was the turning point in your career? I think when I redefined my my thought of what success is, when I was a kid, success meant being a Beatle. It meant being really, really, really famous. Um, and then it meant, in my 20s, it meant getting Grammy Awards and having the recognition of my peers. And in my 30s, it was having other people record my songs. But as the years went by, you know, I realized that Really, you're successful if you can earn a living doing something you love doing. Beyond that, it's just all icing on the cake, really. For those tuning in, we're speaking with Grammy Award winner Janice Dean. Janice, what do you do from here? What do you have planned? Well, I'll be touring March and April, all up and down on the East Coast as well. I'm doing the Rubin Museum in New York, which I think is going to be really fascinating. Uh, and then I'm coming home, and I'm going to work on this novel and work on my next record. And then, um, gosh, then I've got this children's picture book coming out with my song, The Tiny Mouse, that was part of the Olympic festivities. And then uh, then I'm going to keep working. Then huh. I don't know. Then I'm huh. going to make a record at some point or two. How are you with your statistics? Do you, do you keep track of how many albums I mean, do you have in your mind? This is how many albums, this is how many songs. No, I'd have to stop and think about it. The only statistic I know right now is is the Grammy statistic, and that's only because of the nomination. Yeah, that's incredible. Congratulations on that and all your success. Thank you. Thank you. I think the cooler part of that is actually not that I have nine nominations, but that it's in eight different categories. That's amazing. I realized that, that and it was like, wow, eight categories. How did I do that? That's pretty cool. That's the respect of your peers. Isn't that nice? I think that's a great thing. It's an amazing thing. It is amazing, because I'm not having a huge career now. Um, I'm not selling bazillions of records, you know. Bruce and Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel, they stayed with 
what was then Columbia CBS and now Sony, and they've gone on to do just astonishing sales things, and I haven't. Uh, and yet, I feel like I've got I've got the respect, which is really cool. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, that I, I wasn't even aware of that. Nine Grammy nominations in eight different categories. Yeah, that's amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. We gave it earlier, but what's your website? It's www.janiceian.com, J-A-N-I-S-I-A-N.com. Did you have to? We've got all kinds of free content there, lyrics. You can stream pretty much anything I've ever recorded. Uh, We've got free downloads for music and photos and all of that stuff, and lots of articles, lots of stuff for musicians and would-be musicians and writers. It's a good site. It's huge. Yeah. Did you have to buy the name? It's it's amazing that you have your own duck on. You know. Um, you know, I went in. I had a website really early. I had a website. I think in nineteen eighty nine or ninety. Yeah, I was really early with it because I had a lot of friends who were into that, and so I got Janiceian dot com early, and I got uh, my email addresses. You know, like Janiceian at Earthlink or Janiceian at AOL or Gmail and whatnot. It's a good thing because since Tina Fey made that film and she named a character Janice and when I went to start a Twitter account, I had I had to settle for the real Janice and <laughs> That's funny. It was funny. Well, Janice, thrilled to have you on the show. And for those Thank you. I appreciate it. tuning in, we've been listening to Janice Ian, Grammy Award winner, nine times nominated in eight different categories, Janice Ian. And Janice, just keep doing what you do and keep being wonderful thank you and i'll see you on the tv show eventually yeah we'd love to have you thank you janice ian everyone